You are listening to a sermon by New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Our sermon this morning is going to be from Psalm uh, chapter 8, the 8th Psalm. Uh, So if you would stand to hear the reading of God's Word. Psalm chapter 8. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is God's holy word. May he write it on our hearts. Amen. You may be seated. Would you please join me in a word of prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father, it is always such a joy to worship with your people. Oh, Lord, as we've gathered here today, you've called us into your holy presence to not only sing your praises, but to hear from you, to hear good news from you that we are loved, that we are cared for, and that we have a sure hope. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, Father, we pray that you would send the Spirit to open our eyes and our hearts to hear and receive your word. Cast our eyes upon Christ and help us to trust in him. As we hear from you this morning, fill my mouth with your words, I pray. Help us, oh Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Jesus Christ was riding a donkey into Jerusalem on that last week of his earthly life before his crucifixion, he rode in to the praises of a crowd singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And the religious people of the day who were so obsessed with getting everything right, so obsessed with having everything in its perfect place, the religious people of the day who completely missed the point of what Jesus was doing, who completely missed and obstructed Jesus at every turn, tried to stop the crowds by asking Jesus, do you hear what these people are saying about you? 
You're riding into Jerusalem and they're praising you as if you are the son of God. Well, Jesus actually pointed to this psalm that we just read on his way in. He said, have you not read? And he points to verse 2. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength. Or as Matthew 21 puts it, you have prepared praise. If the strong will not praise me, the weak will, was Jesus' point. And God will see to it that he will get his praise. I couldn't think of a better psalm to start our new year together with than Psalm 8. It begins with prayer, with praise. It ends in praise. Before anything is spoken, God is worthy of praise and honor and glory. And after all is said and done, God is still worthy of praise and honor. Our whole lives ought to reflect the tenor of this psalm, I think beginning with praise, ending with praise, as we live our lives day by day. In a world such as ours, in a year that we've just gotten out of, full of tension, full of violence, full of animosity, Christians attacking one another, the world seemingly just out of control and chaotic, We need to come back to the deepest well that we have for joy. We need to come back to what it is that marks us as people. And it's not what we do. It's not even what we say. It's whose we are and who we praise. And Psalm 8 shows us that so clearly, that our lives are meant to be lived under the watchful eye of our Heavenly Father that our lives are meant to be lived to the praise of his glorious grace, as the Apostle Paul will put it later. But how do we get there? We don't get there by thinking up a list of you know, saving principles in order to have a great 2021. We don't get there by trying really hard to be a religious person, having all of our T's crossed and our I's dotted. No, we get there, and what we're going to be meditating on this morning is by reflecting on who we are and where we're going. We get there, we praise the Lord, we wrap our lives around his glory by reflecting on who we are and where we're going. That's what this psalmist does and that's what we're going to do as well under two kind of main headings. We're first going to look down in order to look up. Look at the creation and allow what we see to draw our gaze upward to the Father, to the Creator who made it all. And then we're going to look back in order to look forward. To look back at the original creation, what happened there to let that teach us about where we're going and where our hope finally rests. So first, we look down to look forward. Maybe the first thing that you noticed about this psalm is how much it echoes and how much it focuses on creation. 
We have mentions of the heavens, the sun or the moon and the stars, the fish, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens. We have all of this focusing our eyes on the material world, on what we see around us. And there's not a person, I don't think, that can look at the Grand Canyon, look at the starry sky on the top of a mountain and the clear sky, and not feel that sense of smallness. That we live in a world that is vastly bigger than we are. That we live in a world that vastly extends beyond what we know here on planet Earth. That our universe is simply enormous. We cannot focus or turn our eyes toward creation without feeling this sense of smallness. I can still remember a couple years ago, my wife Stephanie and I uh, were in South Africa, Cape Town, and we went uh, cage diving with great white sharks. Great white sharks are my favorite animal. I know that's a little strange. Uh, There's something about the quiet power that they have that just captures me, I guess. Um, Well, we went out on the boat and the interesting thing is you can actually see the great white sharks better from the side of the boat than you can down in the water. Uh, But what you don't get off the side of the boat is a sense of how enormous (laughs) great white sharks really are. So as you're down in the cage, we have these people that are standing even higher up on the boat watching the water to see if when there's a shark going to come by and they'll tell when the great white shark is coming to swim by, they'll tell you, okay, he's coming down to the right. So you plunge yourself underwater and you turn your eyes and all you can see is this massive shadow moving past you, taller than you are. And you just get this sense of how fragile, how frail you are, how close you are to something that can end your life in the blink of an eye. We cannot look at creation. We cannot focus on the vastness of the world without feeling this sense of how small we are, how fragile we are. We cannot think about the year that we've just gotten out of without realizing how little we are in control of our world, how chaotic things can become so quickly. If anything, we realize now how frail we are as people, how desperate we are for somebody to have control over our lives, how in need we are. That's what happens when we look down. When we look down at creation, it draws our eyes upward to the one who put it all here. As we look around, as we consider creation, we realize, I think pretty quickly, that this is not a product of our own minds. We did not create the world. We are not the creator. In fact, we are mere creatures placed in this world. 
we are not in control. But we know the one who is, and we know the one who has created all things. And this is what David is really getting at here in this psalm. We look down, not only to realize how small we are, not only to realize how great and transcendent God is, which is true. We look down in order to ask this question. What is man that you are mindful of him? Who are human beings that the Lord would ever cast us a second glance? In other words, David is asking. Now that question can be taken a lot of different ways. In Psalm 144, uh, the psalmist there reflecting on the arrogance of the human, the arrogance of human pride, putting ourselves at the center of the universe and assuming that all things orbit around us, assuming that we are the most important, that all people must bow to our will, that even the Lord must serve our ends. The psalmist in Psalm 144 asks, but who is man really? Who are we that we should puff ourselves up and assume that we are in control? Assume that we are the most important thing. This question can be asked as a way of humbling that pride, of putting ourselves in its proper perspective. But that's not the way David's asking this question here in, in verse 4. In the book of Job, Job asks this question twice, once in Job 7 and once in Job 25, I believe. And there, Job is experiencing the deepest anguish and suffering that a human being ever has except for Christ. Suffering he did not deserve, suffering he didn't earn, loneliness as he had never experienced it, hatred from his friends, bodily sickness, the death of his family. Job asks that question out of that deep anguish. Oh God, who am I that you would do this kind of thing to me? Is what Job is feeling at that moment. And I don't know how you've come into 2021. I don't know how you've come into church this morning. I know for, for young families, Getting to church can be a mission in itself, let alone getting here on time and getting everything situated. I don't know how you're coming into this year. I don't know if your 2020 was full of disappointment, loneliness, sadness. I don't know if you're coming into this week feeling lost, alone, hated, despised, persecuted. But what we need to know is what David came to know. The sense of smallness that we feel, that fragility that we all know that we have, that's real. The solution to that isn't to convince yourself that in actuality you are strong. 
the point of realizing that God is the one who is the creator, the point of realizing that God is the transcendent one, is to be drawn to a point of awe and wonder that he takes care of you. It's his nearness that this underscores. Who are we? Small, frail human beings. Small and frail children of the Lord. Yet God is so close to us. And if you're here this morning feeling that pain of loss, the pain of loneliness, you need to know that the Lord is near. In fact, if we were to look at this verse 4 in, in the original Hebrew, it's a, a more wooden kind of translation of this verse is, what is man that you remember him? Friends, the Lord remembers you. You don't go one moment of your life outside of God's memory. He has his eye on you. Yes, he is transcendent. Yes, he is in control. Yes, he created this vast world that we live in. And yet, he is so close to you. Closer than your own breath, even. It should draw our hearts and our mouths to praise. It should draw our lives into his glory. Who are we that the Lord remembers us? Who are we that he takes care of us? And as we look forward uh, into this year, as we think about our lives uh, lived in, in, under the eye of, of the Lord, this is something that we can come back to day after day after day. The Lord remembers me. The Lord loves me. The Lord is taking care of me. The world may be out of my control, and it is. My life may be chaotic. Yet the Lord is here. The Lord is close, and the Lord loves you. We need to look down at our world in order for our hearts to be lifted up. But that's not all that David is doing here in this psalm. David is also actually looking back at a particular moment in time. He's not just drawing our gaze to the created world as we see it. He's not just drawing our eyes to the vastness of our world in order to show us how great it is that the Lord takes care of us. The, David is actually looking back at a particular text Genesis 1, and brings us to our second heading here in our communion meditation, that we look back to look forward. If we want to live a life that praises the Lord, if we want to wrap our lives around God's glory and live a life that honors Him, we need to know who we are. We look down to look up, but we need to know where we're going. We look back to look 
forward. David praises the Lord and he's extolling God and his creation. He says, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. It might strike you as a little interesting that in a, a psalm that is showing us how central human beings are in God's plan, extolling God for crowning human beings and people made in his image with his glory, that being made a little lower than the heavenly beings would be part of that praise towards the Lord. I think on, on one hand, you can, you can think of it as, as a, a positive thing. I, I think, you know, uh, out of all of God's creation, the heavenly beings and all of their glory, human beings are just a little lower on the scale. We're just almost there. But that's not quite what David is, is getting at. See, if we read this text and uh, if we read this text with the author of, of the book of Hebrews, which conveniently it's the most recent commentary on, or the, the oldest commentary on, the, on this psalm was written by somebody who was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The author of the book of Hebrews translates this word little as little while. That's where I got the title of our sermon. A little while lower than the heavenly beings. As David is looking back at creation, reflecting on God's plan, reflecting on what God was doing in the creation of the world, David says, yet human beings have been made for a little while lower than the angels. Meaning there is coming a day when we won't be. Meaning there is coming a day when we will enter in to God's glory. The author of the book of Hebrews understands this to mean human beings and God's intention from the very beginning was to give us the new world, the new age, the new heavens and the new earth that we see in the book of Revelation. That glorious city that comes down where there's no threat of sin, no threat of suffering, where there's no pain, no crying, that that world was promised and given to our first parents, Adam and Eve. They were made for a little while lower than the angels, but they were meant to enter into that glorious world. It helps us, I think, see the beauty in what God was doing and the beauty of, of that opening chapter of the book of Genesis. God creates formless and void earth with just his words and as the days progress, God is filling out that world and making it a perfect home for his image bearers, men and women, put on this earth to rule, to subdue it, to love it, to nurture it. 
And on that seventh day, God, having completed his work, enters into that glorious rest. So too, human beings, the the history of the world was meant to give way to this glorious rest. To enter into that new world where there was no threat of sin to ruin what God had made. We all know how the story plays out. Adam and Eve, rather than believing in the Lord, rather than trusting his word, rather than obeying him and fulfilling that call, decided to side with Satan, the serpent, to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and to plunge the world as we know it into darkness. God's creation, God's original intent (laughs) to welcome human beings into the new heavens and the new earth was derailed. Uh, Not in an ultimate sense. Obviously, we know God is sovereign and his plans go far beyond what human beings can accomplish. Nobody can thwart his ultimate ends. But sin has plunged this world into darkness and chaos. There's not one of us here this morning that is not stained with sin. There is not one of us here this morning that does not bear the scars of that first decision to sin against the Lord. That paradise was lost that promise of the new world, that promise of receiving that glorious city, that glorious new age was lost. And so we don't see a world currently where human beings are in control, do we? If it's not a virus that can threaten our well-being, it's natural disasters. If it's not a natural disaster that threatens our well-being, it's our own proclivity to war against one another. Human beings, in fact, are at the mercy of the rise and fall of the ways of this world in so many ways. And even more than that, we live in a world where people are in opposition to God. We live in a world where people refuse to bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. We experience that. In our own hearts, we experience our unwillingness to bend our knees and submit to the Lord. In our own hearts, we experience the separation that sin creates between us and the Lord. And as we go out into the world, we see that taking place day by day by day. We do not live in a world where Psalm 8 in its glorious vision is really taking place. And yet if we look at verse 2, we see that the Lord is doing something. 
If we look at verse 2, we see that what Adam and Eve failed to accomplish for us, that what we as human beings fail to accomplish for ourselves, God himself has done it. Verse 2 reads, Out of the mouths of babies and infants you have established strength or praise. Verse 2 is all about God establishing his kingdom, God accomplishing his purposes, despite human opposition, despite our sin. We have fallen. Our paradise was lost in the garden. And yet God has established his kingdom, not through the strong. He didn't come as a mighty warrior, establishing his kingdom with might. God has come to establish his kingdom through what is weak and shameful. It's what we celebrate when we look at the incarnation, God coming as a humble baby. A poor carpenter born to die. Living his life in obscurity, living his life as someone hated by those around him, living his life as somebody, as Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 53, we don't esteem or see any beauty in. And yet it's precisely that out of the mouths of babies and infants that God establishes his strength through the shameful, through the foolish, through the weak things of the world. God is doing something, friends. Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ has accomplished for us that which Adam never could. Jesus lives a perfect life in our place. We think often about paradise lost, paradise regained, as that uh, book, I'm forgetting the, the author of, uh, reminds us. But our salvation isn't really a return to the garden. That only gets us halfway there. Jesus Christ dies on the cross for our sins, but he lives a perfect life in our place. So that even now, you can stand before the Father and be declared righteous. Even now, you can stand before the Father and be told you are an heir of the world to come. God has established his strength despite our opposition, despite our sin. Despite our tendency and our ability to fall so far short of his glory, God has come and done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that is the gospel. That is the good news that we need to come back to every single day. That is how we live a life that is to the praise and the glory and the honor of God. 
It's not by waking up in the morning and deciding for ourselves, I'm going to do right today. It's not by making a new resolution to be a better person this year. It's by waking up every day and reminding yourself of who you are, a frail and fragile human being desperately in need of God's care. And yet, a, be- a person made in God's image, called to the highest honor to be a co-heir with Christ, all because of what he has done for you. The way that we live a life that praises God is not found within us, but found on casting ourselves upon Christ and what he has done on our behalf. We begin with praise. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And we go to sleep with praise. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have covered our sins. You have satisfied all the requirements for us to be holy, to stand in your presence without fear, without shame. You have met us in our pain and our loneliness. And you are with us every step of the way until we reach that glorious city. The new Jerusalem, where there will be no more pain, no more crying, no more sin, where we will be with him and he will be with us. We will be his people. He will be our God forever. That's where we're going, brothers and sisters, if we call on the name of Jesus. And that's what this table preaches to us. As we look at this table, it's not much to look at, bread and wine. But it preaches volumes to our souls. As we see the broken bread, we're reminded of the broken body of Jesus Christ for us. As we see the blood represented in this wine, we're reminded of Christ's blood poured out for us. When we look at this meal and when we celebrate it together, as the Apostle Paul will later say, We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. In this meal, we are looking back. We're looking back at the death of Christ, looking back at what he's done for us. But we're looking back to look forward as we anticipate that day when he comes to rescue us once and for all, to bring us into his heavenly home. And so we celebrate now and forever that Jesus Christ our Lord has condescended to us and placed his name on us and called us heirs 
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Let's pray together. Well, Father, as we contemplate uh, your word, as we remember just your graciousness to send Jesus Christ, your son, to send what appeared weak and yet to establish your strength. Oh Lord, to accomplish for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves, to save us when we had no way of being saved. Oh Lord, we're just drawn upward in praise and gratitude, and we thank you. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the opportunity to worship together in the open air. And Lord, we pray that as we think about these things, we remember who we are. We remember where we're going and we rest our lives in your sovereign hand that you are bringing us to our heavenly home. We are so grateful for Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. Help us as we turn our eyes to him once again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.